Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Something in the Crumb. <laughs> This is Unsung Kim and Kim Wen. And today we are talking about part two of our episodes、um, on the K drama romance, is the bonus book. A bonus book? The bonus book. I think it is. That's a good question. See, we don't even know. <laughs> romance of some book. Romance of some book. Of some somewhere. Book. Yes. And in part one, we talked a lot about kind of the ways in which self actualization is narrati- narrated as something that happens through employment and work、uh, in both, in all over the world, essentially. That like the narrative of like finding yourself is really about finding the right job. Uh, and that they go hand in hand, and how critical we feel of this narrative. Yes.、Um, I mean, this is one of the more, I think, one of the shows that I think makes this so much,、uh, so much more explicit than others, because it, the first half of the series is very distinctly a workplace drama sorts.、Um, But when we, you know, we first encounter our lead character and how she comes up again and again、um, with these roadblocks in terms of trying to find work again. And they basically just keep rejecting her because they're like, well, what have you been doing? What have you been doing with that time? Like, who are you? Like, it's like they don't, they don't believe that she existed. Like, that she was basically because.、Um, The type of labor that she was doing is not considered valued labor within、um, this particular capitalist society. It's like she, it's like effectively as if she like worked, was incredibly successful, and successful like in a way that was semi famous within her field, that she won awards, whatever it was. So we can talk a bit as well about award systems and validation, I guess, <laughs> through those things. Like there's so much in this series about like. Particular things that validate who you are.、Um, and obviously, those are one of the things that she was like, well, she was a known kind of person in the marketing field. And then it was as if she just fell off the earth and they just don't understand. So it's equivalent to her being dead, which we've talked about、um, before in Crash Landing on You as well. But this one felt more of a very explicit example of that and not one of her choosing necessarily. Right. And I think that part of what is supposed to be sympathetic about this character is that she did not believe she was dead because、mm-hmm. she was not considered a, a particular kind of wage laborer within neoliberal capitalist society. She thought that she was contributing the best way that she wanted to, which was、um, the work of reproductive labor, the work of gendered labor, the work of That, that occurs in the home. But then, when she realizes at night that, that this form of work was n- neither validated or compensated in a way that could let her continue to live on wretched planet Earth, that she almost like accepts this narrative that it was not valid because we literally never hear from her daughter or husband ever <laughs> again. 
Like, we were like, wait, what? Like, this is a weird kind of spin on, like, the abandoning mother story where it's like, we usually meet, if we're just thinking of, like, my love from the other star, like, we meet, like, the daughter who's traumatized because her mother has abandoned her. And here it's I mean, like, we don't know. This might be a sequel in the works of this poor abandoned daughter. But here it's like the mother ha- felt like she had to abandon the daughter in order to become uh, individuated, which is true. I think like she did. Um, well, and it, this is why it's so extreme, you know, when she like shreds her diploma and like shreds her you know degrees and like it's it's basically coming up with a new identity as if you had like your the old you is is officially dead that person does not exist it is no that person is no longer on record and if i remove it then it's like there's just like no evidence of it and i will be reborn Mm -hmm. as the same person within neoliberal capitalist society (laughs) yes and that the only part of this life that really catches up to her is the fact that she lied about having like gone to school and work experience like it doesn't seem like a scandal that she has a child or she's divorced which shockingly shocking like not even of interest yes that is not the scandal, which is like, that was the premise of the entire drama one spring night. Like, the scandal <laughs> was like... <laughs> this universe is complicated, you know? <laughs> like, the entire premise was like, you have to hide the fact that you have a child and something, you know? Like, and here it's like, She's hiding the fact that she had previous work experience because that's the only way she could keep her entry-level position in which what she really does is run everyone's errands and, like, restocks the orange juice from, like, the bottom shelf to the refrigerator so that there's always cold orange juice. Well, it's just, like, it's depressing about, like, um, that competency and experience punishes her mm-hmm. you know in this way that like it's or, or that there's even an expiration date on this kind of competency they kind of frame it a bit like she works in marketing and you know she must well be dead because she's like, keeping up with all like the contemporary trends but I think this is just like true anyway where you brought this up I think in the last episode where it's about continuous employment <laughs> is this thing that like as if that is like the shame is that she wasn't she hasn't been continuously employed the entire time and that that somehow means that she is incapable of being competent somehow right i mean i do think it's because our relationship to capitalism is supposed to be a relationship it's literally a relationship it's an right. abuse it's a relationship of like abuse <laughs> It's an abusive it's relationship. the majority of our relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Where, but, but, but so much of it is, is, is it like, did you endure, how much of the abuse have you endured? Yes. And if you are somehow a way, if you're not a wage laborer, but you're still a laborer, you're just like not recognized as one, then you're seen as someone who like broke off from the relationship and therefore that in itself like invalidates your existence 
within the market or something. And like, we're supposed to desire some kind of space within the market. Just so depressing. This is like so depressing. <laughs> I just feel so exhausted thinking about this. Right, and because the it's suffering. like on every level. I mean, it's made clear from the side characters in the show that you one is not compensated enough to actually uh, the entry level position does not compensate enough so that one could adequately live on this paycheck because you know how much could they possibly be paid let's say it's like a thousand one or a thousand dollars or let's say it's two thousand which is like whoa there whoa, whoa. <laughs> that's like this is a publishing company you need to turn it down <laughs> so you know and it's full time the weekends seem basically a lot of overtime. A, a lot, lot of overtime. overtime. I am not even. I feel very certain based upon this family narrative that they have going on in that workplace, and no one's getting compensated for overtime like No, people have no boundaries. There's constantly Ugh. texting. Constantly, everyone's like, "I have to show up to your house. There's an emergency." <laughs> And a barge into your house with a work emergency. There's so much after hours shit. It is so appalling. And there's actually this one moment where there's this um, younger editor who's kind of a piece of shit, you know, and like I think the more senior editor who like trains all the new recruits or something, she's like working late. And she's like, hey, do you want to like order food for dinner? And then the kind of younger piece of shit editor is like, um, no, I'm going home. <laughs> Which you're also like, yeah, you should go home. Good for you. But I think it's a part of her trajectory that she's like not a very good employee or something. No, she's always brought out as the person who like makes the mistakes. Yes. And this is supposed yes. to be a publishing company that employs like, what was it? 119 or 190? Like, I know there was a, supposedly tons of people working there, but we only ever meet like, 15 of them or something. Right. But I think that like, it's supposed to really, I mean, like a hundred, whether it's 119 or 190, that's like very mid-size, very family, this kind of like, you're one of us. We all know each other. We gossip about each other. We love each other. We fight sometimes. We ultimately make up. And we all date each other. Too. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, do you that's to, the part that's like, do you want to say more ew. about this? Kim? <laughs> pretty gross like towards the end um you know I get it it's a television show but also like this happens a lot right like it happens a lot uh in workplaces it happens a lot like within neoliberal capitalist society because the only relationship you truly have is with capitalism yeah that like your dating pool is also your workplace like that is like where people are meeting people because Who's got time? Who's got time to be like going on a million dates? Who's got time to be like going to the clubs? Who's got time? It's like you're just working overtime, like whatever, 70 hours a week or something at a publishing house, which is like, okay, like there's no book emergency. Like, let's just be honest about this. Sidebar. <laughs> no, no, no. But this is they're all dating each other. Like, this is the gross part, but it's a reflection, I think, of like what really happens because people are expected to not have personal lives. Your personal lives are married to your workplace and within capitalism. Like you can't, that line is just so blurry about like the company. It doesn't exist. I mean, 
basically, so there's like two things that I was going to say is that like um, the relationship within the company is supposed to be both like the relationship you're supposed to have to capital that like you kind of like it's so enmeshed that you're not supposed to see the boundaries and you don't it, it like there's enough love in there that you don't see the exploitation anymore or you sort of mm -hmm. let it go. And then like I thought it was so amusing in a dark way that the emergencies that they did have was it wasn't it like that one of their authors Yes, the bio. They had a bio. There was like a bio thing, but there was also one, a previous <gasps> emergency where like somebody who endorsed the book was accused of like sexual misconduct. So yes. they all had to show up to the factory to like remove the, the like the pamphlet that like endorsed the book or something. So like everyone was like, it was like a very dramatic scene that was supposed to show like, this is how dedicated everyone is in the company. Like, you know, to concealing sexual, to concealing like, sexual misconduct for their, you know, for their authors. Like this woman shows up, the bitchy lady, like is in the From middle the salon, of, you know, her yeah. hair is all like a mess. Totally. She's like getting a perm. She like leaves mid perm or something. And then everyone else is like, some people are there with their kids. Like, it's just like, I know putting their children to work. <laughs> You got them making wallets too, President? Like, gross. Um, but another thing about the name, about the bio, it's like the scandal about that is that it's like this very expensive hardcover book. They made many copies. It's like, it's supposed to be like one of their like new exciting titles. And one of the new recruits like uh, messes up the bio. And for some reason, no one else reviewed that bio after like it actually like went to print which also seems like I'm like you work in publishing and like, that doesn't seem right um but they leave out uh the author's profession they forget that or they didn't list that he was um a physicist which you know going back to being dead it's like if you're not a physicist then what is he even like how is he even allowed to write this book it's interesting a little sidebar <laughs> no these were the emergencies. It was like making sure that the potential person with sexual misconduct, you know, that that was hidden and that like the bio looked good enough for that. It was like impressive enough, which were like impressive which, enough. Yeah, yeah. It's not good enough. It's like impressive enough. And so like once like there is no need for overtime for any of this. I mean, like I think it should be really clear as more and more people in the arts just feel this kind of liberal hysteria, and I use the word hysteria <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> I, I, I was a, when I was a grad student, what in, in class um, in Chicago, someone like asked me if I knew about like the etymology of the word hysteria. Like a white dude asked me this, and I was like, I yeah. fucking do know the etymology. What are you? What are you accusing me of being a, a misogynist right now? Like this is gonna be fun, <laughs> fun times. I mean, not that I can't be one. I I'm one all the time. I'm sure. But um, yeah, the liberal hysteria around what is art? Why do we need art, especially in a time of crisis? Um, is I think 
something that this show really explores because something, Kim, that you said right before was so much of the ethos of this company is like producing the quote unquote good product, the good product that is the good book. Um, so it's liberal in construct. And um, what did you say? You said it was like middle class aspiration and upper class consumption. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, I, I think that it's like they have the kind of familial sorts of um, we're just like regular people being really dedicated to our jobs and we just want to do the good work, uh, but also the kind of uh, for upper class consumption, this idea that like what they're doing is it's like con the conflation of like noble work and a type of, um, going back to what you were saying, impressive, right? Like it has to be, it's like a type of impressive, it's a type of quality, mm -hmm. but like it's, it's for a particular kind of prestige, but that is noble in some way. Like, and that they, the work that they do is like, like one of the reasons that she um, realizes that she needs to go back to this family because she get um you know when it comes out that she had lied about her credentials and then she has to leave um puts in her letter of resignation there's a bit of a scandal um she gets a job at this other i mean do we call it a company i don't really know <laughs> it's an office with some people that uh have an unethical approach to publishing um in which they you know they do things like uh lift um translations from other books um they don't pay anybody um on time or if at all um all of these things and she just like reminisces about like people who really care you know they just like really care because they believe in books and then when she resigns from that job she's like i just can't because this work is just like like you are being, it's, it's, it's applying a type of moralistic sort of relationship to that kind of labor, you know, where it's like, I can't even believe that you make these kinds of books. Totally. You know? like, yeah. And <clears throat> it, it is really interesting, like the literary references that they do throw in there. Like, I mean, this shit just cracked me up. Like we have people citing like Amy Lowell or like, referencing like Beckett's Waiting for Godot as God, just happened. Who, see, this is why you're like, whose fantasy is this? <laughs> you're like, why is the fantasy taking place in a mid-sized publishing company where the objective is middle-class aspiration, upper-class <laughs> consumption? This is, this is some bullshit. This is not my fantasy. Like... <laughs> Well, and there's like a really hilarious scene. I think it's in the last episode where they're celebrating, you know, one of their many titles um, doing really well and having like a third printing or something. And basically they made, it made a ton of money. And so they're like all going out for lunch together and they're eating barbecue and having a great time and blah, blah, blah. And then like the server at one point, is like, what do you guys do? And then they all just like scream maniacally, we made books. <laughs> like, like, Whoa. Okay. Yeah. You make books like chill out. Calm down. <laughs> Calm down. You make books period. It's not, you make books exclamation point. We make books! <laughs> like, 
And I do think maybe like that is important to note that the celebrations are not about the fact that they published, you know, rarefied archival material or the works of marginalized persons or stories or whatever. Like they for there's like this one scene where okay like the. <laughs> There's always, there's often time, there's this like doofus character who we will, we will talk about later because he's kind of featured in the episode that we're looking at for this um, part two, who like advocates for poetry, but this publishing company doesn't publish poetry very explicitly. Because it doesn't sell. Because it doesn't sell. Let's, let's be clear about that. Like that this is a profit driven <laughs> decision. Exactly. I mean, like. It would be, it, this is a question, this is the question that I think maybe Kim and I are most interested in. Like, if this wasn't a profit-driven enterprise, and it was um, philanthropically supported, as so many poetry pre uh, presses are actually, like, funded by someone who has basically started the company without any delusions of profit, right? Um if it was that kind of company or if it was a profit driven company, like it's not like you have it's like the who is more evil, what is more what is what is more what contains more suffering, like you would still have those questions. But like this is the celebrations that they have when they go out, it's not like we published a book that we cared about. It's like, hey hey everyone, our version of Waiting for Godot, which is like, why do you even have to say it like that? Oh, that I, is devastating. It's fucking devastating. Like white supremacy is like quite a trip. That like you don't even need white people anywhere for those to be like it's why. So true. It's like that. Like what? Where did like that? That is kind of a Beckett moment where it's like where the fuck? Why is Beckett randomly in this drama as a reference point for the kind of work that this is? Like I don't know. I just I have a really hard. I mean, <clears throat> I will not write the paper that talks about how the modern... We're not putting that labor on you. <laughs> look, like, I really hope that someone eventually writes the book or writes a dissertation about how, like, so much of white modernism is just showing up somewhere and being like, oh, well, what you do is kind of cool. So I think that you're a modernist, too. And so it's this kind of, like, Christian colonizing imperative but then it, this becomes further complicated within neoliberal capitalism where people within the nation state in believing like it basically accept that like the white aspirational is the one to to to, to strive for yeah you were going to say something i was just going to say that if anyone that is listening knows that this paper already exists to please share it with us oh yeah <laughs> It, we would love to read it. It's entirely possible it's out there, but as people who are out there reading things that are on the internet a lot, we have yet to encounter it. I, like I was going to say, that's so kind of you, Kim, because I feel like at this point I'm like, no, no, I know this shit doesn't <laughs> exist. And it bums me out. And then eventually I'm like, Kim has to write it or I have to write it. Or we just or have to... One of our numerous uh, young Asian listeners... <laughs> who also care about critiques of capitalism, they're also ready. 
Yes. But like it is it is kind of like this like, oh, not again moment where you're just like, no, not again. Not this again. It just happens like way too often. So, yeah. No, you're 100 percent right. Yeah. It's it's kind of I mean, and this is going back to I think you've talked about this a lot, just about literature and English as a discipline (laughs) and its origins and it like this like really reaffirms all of those things you know like the fact that you this place works at a publishing house and like they still have to reference back in somehow as being like as a touchstone that we're supposed to understand to again recognize that kind of um prestige and seriousness prestige that they're working within right seriousness seriousness I mean because if anything Beckett is fucking serious. And, like, CM Nye actually has these categories where she says, like, you call something cute because it's beneath you and it's dismissive and you don't actually believe it's powerful. So, you know, I think about that every time I hear a cishet dude call a woman cute. I'm like, whoa, whoa there. What are you really saying, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she says, like, zany, or like weird is like something that you just like call some like it's like when you actually acknowledge that there's like a kind of overflowing energy but that recognizes like the power of that kind of affect and then interesting is like you call museums interesting they're sort of supposed to be like obscure fortresses of knowledge so i think like that is the function of someone like beckett like whether or not you've read him or not like at least understanding the reference, you feel like an insider within this kind of knowledge consumption landscape where you're like, oh, I know he's high literature. He's not like like the the web comic series that I think like at some point they were gonna publish, but then they decided not to because like there's too much of it, you know. Like versus like no one says there's just like a, a, a like a like too much Beckett stuff right like there's not enough they should (laughs) they should they should okay but we should also say that like this episode that we're watching today or like talking about today has we think one of the best scenes because it's great well (laughs) i can't remember why they're celebrating something they go to the club um as a group which you know again is we talk about these buildings of building of relationships or whatever it may be, where it's like, I don't know why you're at the club with your boss, but I guess this is the universe that we're working within. Um, but everyone basically gets really wasted. And we start to, this is like one of the episodes where we really start to see um, people's private lives or like some of the things that are going um beyond just like the kind of workplace drama. So like the director who's, terrible and steals her ideas and is like very jealous of her um we find her we go to her apartment i think the three of them um her our lead character the director and um the head of marketing Mm -hmm. um they all after the club go back to the director's apartment which is disgusting she's like a slob basically but then they continue to drink and then reveal all kinds of things about each other. Um, and this is actually one of the situations in which it is not held against her, our lead character, when she says that she's divorced and has a child. 
Um, I think that if this was a different kind of show, that would have been like, <gasps> like she would have been fired for that or something like that, you know? And this was like, oh, that's so sad that this happened to you. And they all kind of all share these like sob stories. But um, the most interesting one is the head of marketing who had just in the last episode, I believe, um, divorced uh, her husband, who is an editor, the poetry Dude. yeah the, the aspiring poetry also one of the co-founders or whatever it is of the publishing company and yeah. the the three women that go out so the other entry-level people also go out but they're in a separate group so basically the three women that kind of go out and hang the out hierarchy exists even at the club you guys yes. <laughs> so like the three of them um are around the same age i don't think it's ever really clarified how old the director or the head of marketing is but we're supposed to assume they're like mid 30s early 40s oh did you yeah because they, there is a comment at one point where i can't remember who says it but it's it's the implication that our lead character um could have been that director if mm. she had stayed um employed the whole time and kind of right. was continuing on her career track yeah and the hierarchies exist in that like so the head of marketing and our lead character can't get into the clubs on their own because they're too old. And in Korea, it's like kind of prolifically acknowledged that, you know, older people, not just older women, but like older people, the clubs will discriminate and just like not let you in. Um, so part of like looking young or wanting to look young or like knowing you look young is like being a little bit older, but like getting into the clubs anyhow type of thing. But the director comes in and it's unclear It's unclear whether it's like she looks young enough or she just has more money, but they just let her in and give her kind of VIP service. Um, I think it's to emphasize that she has true power. She has true power, right. Because they, like, they know her already and they're like, whoa, yeah. whoa, if you're with her, do whatever you want. We don't care. Behold. Behold. <laughs> be your actual age we are okay with that like don't lie to us about your age just tell us the truth <laughs> yeah and then the parallel scene for this club scene is that we see the poetry dude alone fishing reading like a poem depressed that has words like meaningless everything is meaningless literally that's like a line from the poem Kim, like, texted me this. She was like, did you see that poem where, like, the poem is literally, like, everything is meaningless, nothing has meaning, the world sucks. <laughs> it's, like, the entirety of the poem. And it's, like, the poem that, like, um, the lead male character is just reading out loud as this guy is just, like, depressed and fishing. So we see this contrast, like, post-divorce, you have this woman out in the clubs dancing, and then you have this guy who's just very sad, fishing by himself, reading depressing poetry. I mean, he's so cliche. It's <laughs> like, it's too much, you know? Like, he is like, not to, um, you know, kind of jump ahead too much, but he's just, it, it's, um, there, you know, there's so many scenes where he is just like, playing this dude uh, in the meetings where he wants to derail the conversation because he's like, this poet is amazing. And like, 
he has a lot of feelings or like but it's like it's always just the performance of feelings right which is why it's like even more cliche you know where it's like you know at one point he's in a meeting and he just starts to recite like this like poetry just for some reason and like in a very dramatic depressed way and and one of the younger um younger co-workers of his is just like he's sick I don't know and he's just like he's got it like and they're like what? And they're like the new recruits are just like what is what does he have is he like like what is like what kind of sickness and he's just like still he's a poetry illness and then everybody closes up their books and just leaves because he's like derailed this meeting with his his dramatics again and um and it is like this is the funny thing where it's like he talks a lot about like he because he's so dramatic because he does all of this stuff but the problem of like his relationship one of the reasons why it falls apart is that it is a completely um unequal partnership um with, in which sorry go ahead without emotional depth without emotional depth and that that is actually why it falls apart and so, so that becomes more apparent to us in this particular episode where the head of marketing his now ex-wife you know reveals why um this relationship actually fell apart it's not because you know she, she's trying to perform it as if she's like i'm an independent woman and like i just you know i'm happy to be away from him and she like gets a crazy wig and like a yeah. lot <laughs> she looks bananas <laughs> <laughs> but 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 like you know she breaks down and she kind of just says that it's like he was never on my side and there's this really amazing flashback scene where Ugh. she just like you know, they're shopping together at this mall um, and they end up at this like uh, shoe store of some kind where um, she is asking um, the person working at the store, if she, you know, like, how much is this? Like, what sizes do these come in? Blah, blah, blah. And then the person is just like really impatient with her and gets kind of annoyed that she's even asking. And then he basically just says to her, like, well, you're not really going to buy these shoes anyway. So, like, stop wasting my time. And so he's, like, really dismissive of her and just kind of makes the assumption that she's um, not able to actually purchase these shoes. And so she, of course, gets, like, upset about it. She's like, fine, we're, like, leaving. And then, um, and she's, like, super worked up about it because it's super upsetting. And then um, the the poetry dude just spends the next few minutes just, like, saying, well, like, making excuses for this guy well, the store. And then, like, well, you were, you know, working at lunch and like, or he was like working over lunch. He was probably like doing this and doing all this stuff to kind of like justify his behavior and mistreatment of his wife. And she calls him out on it and just like, you know, it's just like, why are you working so hard to understand him? And like going through all this trouble to like basically create understanding for his emotions and why he like ended up treating me this way when it's like you don't understand me and you refuse to understand me and give me that kind of time yeah and like and this scene is like so important that like it kind of it the scene blew my mind in that like um I feel I felt actually like quite triggered by this scene because it, it it encapsulates so many of the frustrations that I have in general about like interpersonal dynamics because so it's like they're at this mall it's like an underground mall. So like the shoe store they go to, it's not selling like expensive shoes necessarily. But she's like asking these questions. We should also add that like there's nobody else in the store. 
Mm-hmm. And she's the only customer in a store of women's shoes with two men. So there's like a dude who sells women's shoes who's impatient with her. Asking regular questions asking about what these shoes. Generic <laughs> questions. She's not asking yeah. like, is the leather at the front the same as the leather in the back? Like yeah. she's not asking like nuanced co- like questions of like color and dye. She's just asking what sizes do they come in? How much are they? When the guy in the store, the owner of the, a dude who's the owner of a women's like shoe store gets impatient with her, her husband's reaction is to appease him. And he says, mm-hmm. we'll just buy the shoes. That's like the first thing yeah. that he says. He's like, it does the guy doesn't even answer the question. He doesn't say like, it's you know, 10, uh, 101 or like whatever. He, he just like refuses to even acknowledge her questions. And then he just responds and says, like, we'll just buy them, like trying to appease his emotions. Mm -hmm. And then when they leave, it's once again about the other dude's emotions. So like the fact that she's present or there. Oh, also, he tries to read like his poetry book in the middle of all of this. Can't put it down. It's a real page turner. <laughs> oh, and the store owner is literally eating noodles while he's like working at the store. So it's like, okay, you're doing this. Who knows why you're doing this? But like, you're there. You're there to ask questions. There's nobody else in the store. And so something like she says at first, you know, is that like, why does she even, has he even thought about why she's interested in asking how much are they? Right? Like, as like a kind of like husband and wife duo, like where is this kind of anxiety around finances coming from? Like he's like not interested in a single one of her concerns. He's like more interested in filling in the gaps for this like backstory of this guy he's never met, he's never gonna see again. And then the second thing that he gets mad about is that like she's yelling in public and people that they don't know might think of them as weird. Mm-hmm. And then her, while she's like remembering all of this, she just says like, I just thought I had like a person in my life who was on my side and I was wrong. Well, I think that what you're saying as well about like, um, that he doesn't want people to think that they're weird is also why he says like, let's just buy the shoes because he doesn't want, he's like, you know, as if it, he doesn't want to feel embarrassed by it or like to seem as though he doesn't have money or like whatever it is. He's like, let's just buy the shoes. Like part of it is like a saving face thing. Um, which again is just, and she's just like, we're not going to buy these shoes. Like all that does is just like benefit him. <laughs> like, Why is that? Like, what, what, you, what is the point of buying these shoes other than to like, like you think, what is it supposed to do? Like it's supposed to like prove to you that you're like not cheap or that you're not petty or like, you know, all of these things that it's like, and she just like calls him out on it, you know, or it's like, yeah. that's not, that's not what that gesture is actually about. Yeah. And it doesn't do what you think it's doing. And like, I think when she says like, you're supposed to be on my side, like you're supposed to be trying mm-hmm. to understand me and my frustrations. Cause she says like, why didn't you stick up for me? Cause the store owner is like genuinely explicitly rude to her. I he's think the worst. he's the worst. I think like when she says like you're supposed to be on my side like the expression on her face is like it's so clear he has never really been on her side he's Mm -hmm. never really tried to look at things from her perspective and that he's like more interested in saving face whatever that means 
So he's like more interested in like being perceived as like a quasi poetry lover who's like emotional than actually mm-hmm. having emotions, having an emotional relationship, ha- being in reciprocity, like and actually even understanding what his like wife is feeling. So like you don't understand what your wife is feeling. Do you understand what you're feeling? Like what do you understand? You're interested in like preserving the image that you're interested in understanding and emotions without actually understanding or having emotions like that's quite the life well he's quite interested in the abstraction of emotion oh absolutely absolutely like that's and that's like the more comfortable place for him to exist within because he uh grants himself permission to to like opt out right and to opt out of these things where it's like he can perform it and he can kind of like live within i mean and we can talk about like that kind of aestheticization of emotion too right where it's like you get to live within like poetry but you don't live within like emotion you don't live within like you know what is actually happening right here oh my god kim that's so beautifully put because like his his character is a caricature of like Mm -hmm. the hipster dude who thinks he has like deep conversations with people. Like he has the Harry Potter glasses as he's like recounting the story. Like he has like the demeanor of someone who's like, you know, he's like, he's quiet. He like doesn't want to make a scene. He like likes poetry to everyone. He's just like, poetry is the best. Why don't you love this poem? Like it's the greatest or whatever, you know, goes fishing by himself, reads like (laughs) existential poems in the dark. Like, I don't even know how he's reading these poems. Like he wants, he wants everyone to know he's just so emotional, but like he can't go shopping with his wife. He can't put the book down for one second, go shopping with his wife. Well, and also, he's not a poet. Nope. He doesn't even write them. It's like you have all the the lifestyle, you know, like sitting alone, reading in the dark. I suffer, I suffer, I suffer. And I'm like, you just edit them. (laughs) But then, but, but also like, when he's fishing and he's recounting the story because we see him recounting the same story and he does recount it but in his version he's just like she snapped she all of a sudden freaked out she misinterpreted what i was doing she snapped she went crazy woe is me it is my life to just suffer this way to be fucking misunderstood by everybody because i'm so harmless and I just love poetry and I can't catch a break. And it's like, you are such an entitled man child, you piece of shit. Like, you have no fucking idea. Like, you have no idea what a coward you are. Mm, that's the perfect description, a coward. I mean, it is also like so much of the show is about the nuances of partnership. And, and like, one of the reasons why he is, like, she just, like, snapped, you know? It's, the implication is that he, his understanding of partnership was, like, everything was great. You know, I basically got everything that I wanted and never had to do anything. And it was working. I don't understand why she suddenly snapped. And it was, like, because he had complete lack of empathy to realize that she was not getting anything, 
that she needed out of this. And that's not partnership. <laughs> that's not partnership, but it, it's also like he was getting everything he needed because she was doing all of the work. So yes. we find out they have a child who's sick. She often misses. Children are barely important in the show. They're they're not important, but she misses all these work events, really important work events. But secretly, she also keeps it a secret, which is a very interesting thing, too, is that as part of, like, a type of, again, like, the work persona, is that she's not allowed, like, she basically, she talks about how she's not allowed to, like, like, she lies, right, about, like, when she misses these things or she can't do this because her child gets sick a lot and, like, she says things like, I was in an accident, or I was running, like, you know, she makes it seem, even though it's like, it's perfectly valid that your child is sick, that's why you cannot come to work. But she doesn't feel like that's actually also, something. You she, work and in- she said that it's a gender thing, too. She's like, yes. I'm not allowed to say that, because it makes her look weak. Yeah, and like, what, once again, they work in publishing. So like... <laughs> Her child gets sick. It's a it's an event where people read but this poems. Is a book launch. It is look, very look, people read poems out loud. It's just not a big deal. Like this is not <laughs> life or death. It's like an emergency. There were this book launch had like legit. I don't know, like thirty people. <laughs> thirty people and a guitar player doing like acoustic guitar. And you're like, this is really not an emergency. Everything's fine. And you really did see the disparity because even though she lets her coworker know that she can't be at this event, but please don't tell anyone that there that it's because her child has been hospitalized for meningitis. Yeah. So like, yeah. okay, we're just like this is a big something big is happening. She doesn't call her ex husband. I don't. It, it's almost made clear that like she just like he just doesn't know stuff. Like he just doesn't really deal with that stuff he just does whatever he wants and then he was like my life was great and then now I don't get to have this life anymore that's what he's really sad about is that like he thought that he had a life where he could save face seem normative and everything was fine and like she just was like this isn't good enough for me anymore like I, if I have to put on the persona of the person, I mean, if I have to take on all this gender labor, in the very least, I would like somebody on my side, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is actually one of the greater outcomes of the show is that they don't get back together and that they actually, um, you know, that she, she ends up. Is it an author or is it like a co-worker? Of no, it's an, it's an author. It's an author. It's an author. Yeah. Um, and she kind of starts like hooking up with this other dude and she's just living her life. Um, but we see scenes of them like being together as a family and that he's trying to be more present um, in his child's life, even though it's still kind of clued out about what his child is interested in or whatever. But um, it's somehow closer to actual partnership that their divorce was the only way to kind of create the pathway for that for them and they don't I think he still wants to get back together with her there's all these gestures towards it and she's just like no No. we're not getting back together we're not getting back together but I also think like and this is the last time I'll go back to it (laughs) but I think that like the scene I don't think I've seen in television like this it mapped out so perfectly or so explicitly how 
so much of the anxiety and the frustrations within intimate partnerships is about kind of the the ways the inflexibility of um, empathy and perspective right mm-hmm. so it's like he had more empathy for a dude that was a stranger um and was more willing to be kind of compassionate and like thinking about why this stranger might be a certain kind of way then I, I I'm not even sure that that's empathy Ooh. I think I think that it's still about him. Mm. It's not empathy. Like that's what I mean about the saving face thing. Like I think that the, some of that, like maybe, is about him, like trying to understand and empathize with that person. But I also think there was a lot of it in there that was just about him. The Paul do. Yeah. Like you think that it's he's a narcissist and he can't. He literally cannot imagine anyone else's interiority. A little bit, but I also think that like. Yeah, like, he's, again, like, his empathy is still rooted in, like, that's how he feels in his relationship with this woman. And that he is just, like, projecting that onto this, like, shitty store owner or whatever. Uh, Not to kind of, like, not to kind of, like, give him complexity or something, but I actually think that it's, like, I think that it's still about him. Like, I think that his empathy is not, it's not even as sophisticated as, like, Oh, so you're saying like you're saying like he already had the criticisms that the store owner had of his wife. A little bit. And he was actually just using the store owner to as another vehicle. Well, and that's why he empathizes, quote unquote, is because Uh, he's like he's like, Oh, I read like I register that because that's how I feel about it. Oh, okay. So like when the store owner says like you're not gonna buy it anyway. You're just irritating me. It's like, actually, that's how the husband felt in that moment. Like, you're not going to buy it anyway. You're irritating me. Like, so he identifies with the store owner and not with his wife. Yes. Which I think that, like, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not a specialist or psychoanalyst in any of these things. But I also think that sometimes, like, (laughs) but we are cancers and we have a lot of feelings. And I think that, like, you know, this kind of empathy is, like, also being empathetic to things that not just because they're your feelings or because you have experienced them or whatever it is. And that's why I'm like, I don't know if this is like actual true empathy that he has like for that owner, because I'm like, I think it's just because it's what he understands. Yeah. No, no, but I, but I do think like you're right. And I think it's very much like he does not identify with his wife as a partner or a person. Yes, totally. But he identifies with himself. And he can see projections of himself in other people, but not with his wife. That is fucking important. I do think yes. that that's clear, uh, clear. And I think maybe like she had felt like maybe this was the case all their lives. And this moment just like crystallized it for her. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel better knowing this. Wow. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I mean, do you? <laughs> I mean, I feel this better. trash bag lives in the world. I feel better in that I know what to call this trash bag the next time <laughs> I come across as kind. I can just be like, all right, then. Like, you don't identify with me as a person. This happens all the time. So don't worry. Like, we're the goddesses of the fireplace. Like, don't you worry. <laughs> we have no function, really. Not sure why we're in the story at all. <laughs> unclear 
Um, so we're nearing like the end of the episode, but I want to make sure that we can talk about clothes. <laughs> of course, very important. Um, I think we talked a little bit about this last time. Um, our lead character, she dresses kind of young or, but not like in the way that like, I feel like with younger, the American show, because they were actually making her pretend that she was in her 20s, she looked more ridiculous, like wearing clothes. I think this kind of, um, these kinds of outfits are not necessarily like trying to make her look like she's in her 20s, but they're trying to just like make her look contemporary. (laughs) But it just makes her look awkward. Yeah. There's a lot of bright colors. There's a lot of prints, actually, um, for both her and uh, our lead lead gold standard character. And there's a lot of prints, and there's a lot of, like, faux crops, as in, like, it's a winter jacket, but it's kind of cropped. Like, it's just, like, a weird length. And, like, but then, like, but then she will wear, like, a longer sweater. So, like, it's not really, it's just, like, Things are cropped, but, like, they don't make any sense. To me, they don't really make any sense. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of coats that don't make sense on this show. Um, he has – we both commented on this. Uh, he has this, like, wild trench coat with, like, this, like, red camo. <laughs> oh, my we will. It's, like, a lot of look. It's, like – I I don't know what's happening here. And at one point, he kind of contemplates wearing it on their first date or something. And I was like, and then he does. He does, right? And you're no, he doesn't. He doesn't. He saves it for something else. Oh wow, wow! But he like holds it up, and I was like, oh my god! (laughs) Why do you own that? Like, what is happening here? It's bananas. He does have a lot of coats, so there's a lot of plaids. There's a lot of, like, yeah, layering going on. He, I think I think for both of them, they look better in the first half of the series than they do in the latter half. For some mm. reason, things, like, the wheels start to really fall off like, towards the latter half. Um, but overall, you know, we've seen worse. She doesn't look like one spring night, so that's something. They gave the... They gave her these, like, really awkward bangs. The, the weird thing is is that she looks great that one day where she's supposed to have that makeover from the queer character. And then never again did she look good. So it's, like, really unclear what happened to that makeover. I mean, but this is just true. You can't homestyle that hair again. It just doesn't work. <laughs> but even the clothes. I'm like, what happened to all of the clothes that she gave you? She gave you... And we never see her wear any of those. Oh, except yeah. for there's like a white coat. I think oh, she wears like a okay. white coat. Okay. Um, but yeah, all the other clothes, you're like, I don't understand. Where did that cute dress go? <laughs> yeah, you're like, those were some real hot shoes. And they went nowhere. Like, unclear where they went. Um. um we're at a scene where also the there's the two it's our B it's our B romance plot <laughs> where the editor who is in love with our gold standard um, is like basically ends up falling in love with the des- book designer who also was into our lead character um, and the book designer is a great example of someone who if we're on a discussing kind of not very interesting men 
um, and why our gold standard even became a gold standard is because everyone around him is just like trash. trash. But this book designer is also like not awesome, I think. Like, um, but he mostly wears a lot of like basics, like a lot of camel coats. Yeah. And, but does look pretty nice. Like has some like nice white sneakers. And the book designer thinks he's a good guy so much so that he's actually not a good guy. He has nice guy syndrome for sure. I mean, but his own mother says that, like, she's like, did she break up with you? It's because you're boring and you're not funny. And <laughs> women like it when men are funny. So you need to do something about that. He also has that secret room to, like, <laughs> secret, like, locked up room that he writes a secret novel in. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, you live alone. Like, I don't understand why you have to have this, like, murder dungeon, like, <laughs> to, like, write your novel. But again, you know. Literary, (laughs) literary world is dramatic. And then we will say that uh, as the drama progresses, even though we see more of their relationship and then they like, you know, they get together. It's a kind of adult relationship. It is what it is. It becomes more and more... um, just nauseating is maybe the right it's word. It's less sexy. It is less sexy. She's just not very sexy throughout. And we don't really know why. Um, it's like she's so like, she's like so anti-mother, I think, like as a persona mm. that she's kind of hinges on this cute, but she doesn't really do it fully. And so it's just so, somewhere in the middle. And then he's just so like emotionally available to her that they start kind of melting i don't we i don't know i don't know what it is i don't know what it is actually i well there's just like i don't know what it is it's i think when i rewatched a few little later episodes i like because i think i i rewatched some of the beginning episodes so that we could really you know brush up on our workplace <laughs> discussion and then when i um scrolled through a few of the later episodes and like seeing their scenes together I was just like this is like I don't it's there's a weird chemistry between them that I can't shake and it's like it was kind of like creeping me out yeah for sure it definitely creeped me out for sure um and but it like I I feel like at the end of it I was still like this did try harder than the other ones, especially because so many of like the B plots, like the divorcee, you know, and even them kind of worked through some understanding of love and partnership or like love and friendship as Mm -hmm. more prioritize this above the sort of like the illusion of like innocence and like the kind of secretly worthy subplot that I think shows up in so much k-drama and like actually like did not allow people to just have like far away fantasies you know like the editor and the book designer they get together because they start they basically get to know each other and they're friends so like all of the people who get together in the show do so not out of this kind of weird fantasy projection but because they like have some understanding of the other yeah, which I do think that that happens um, in abusive work environments. As oh well. my god! <laughs> not not to put a damper on their love, but 
but like it's a thing right like totally. it is a thing about like you know shared trauma in a way that also generates that because it is a very lonely existence when you work in a particular kind of context and like people don't totally understand those things and it's like they really share whatever particular understanding of this place um also a number of these relationships have unequal power dynamics which is really interesting too it's like yeah it's like the editor who has basically employed the designer they're dating the president who is the boss of the director they're dating um our two lead characters you know one's a founder and one is someone that gets orange juice i mean that's like a huge <laughs> huge <job. laughs> oh okay well if you put it that way <laughs> just a clusterfuck <laughs> of sexual harassment suits like but it's like really good they're just like a family everyone looks really good oh my god oh my this god this is the kind of romance in neoliberal capitalist society that everyone could this is the best to. you could hope for <laughs> that you forget about your exploitation a little bit you've you learned to find love within exploitation within exploitation and you march on employed <laughs> not co not in a co-op just like you're, you're a wage laborer i mean i'm pretty sure that every single one of our podcast episodes should just end with still not a co-op <laughs> still not a co-op <laughs> oh my god i'm writing that down right now um okay so for our next episodes what will they be did we decide I don't know if we've decided yet. We may have actually, despite all of our high functioning. <laughs> well, it's because we have, we're doing some things in the, like we're doing things out of order, but it looks like it might be up in the air. Oh, we were maybe going to do the good fight. Oh, that's right. But it could also be something else. So um, if you were Stay listening, <laughs> if you're listening to this, we are like in a moment where things are a little out of order, but like still, this is the love of our lives. So, you know, it's true. This is like a real love. It's not, it's not a, it's not a publishing house love. <laughs> not a publishing house love. They're like, Kim, Kim, Kim and I are still not a co-op because this is a nothing. <laughs> this is a nothing. This is just like. What are weekends are about during COVID nineteen? Like that's what this is about. Um, but on, but but you know, like I've been making these panic uh, panic edition pandemic edition bracelets, and Kim was like, "Wait, is our podcast a pandemic edition?" And I was like, "No, it's a lifelong edition. <laughs> like you better get ready, everyone." <laughs> true we have so much content to share we have a lot of thoughts to share and we hope that you're as excited as we are for all of them um well we can't wait to see you next episode yes all right take care everyone have a good day and write us if you want but don't write us if you don't want to you know it is what it is <laughs> thanks for listening bye bye 그대여 돌아올 순 없나요 우리 다시 예전처럼 말해요 서로를 가졌다